بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير خير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وَإِنَّ شَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْتَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْتَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ So the last time that uh, we had the, the, the lesson, uh, we started uh, the short lecture by Sheikh Ubaid, Hafizahullah, Na'eemu Al-Qabr, Na'eemu Al-Qabr Wa'adhabuh, which is on the, the bliss or the reward of the grave, and its punishment. And uh, before we entered into the topic, uh, we spoke, which has been, I think, four weeks now, so uh, just a recap, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, because this is from the affairs of the unseen, uh, from the hidden affairs that we can't see, from the ghaib, and we spoke a little bit about generally. Uh, about the the unseen or belief in the unseen, and we mentioned six or so points. Uh, the first point that we mentioned was that the very first description, the very first quality uh, attributed to the believers in the Quran is that they believe in the unseen. Those who believe in the unseen, right at the beginning, of Surah Al-Baqarah. And that belief in the unseen is something that is binding upon everybody. Everybody has to believe in something from the unseen because it's not possible to know all things just by way of the physical senses. right? And most of our knowledge, most of the knowledge that each person holds, it has come by other than the five senses, right? Um, so this is from the from the from the uh, first qualities mentioned in the Quran, and often when you see the kuffar or the mulhidin, the atheists, like when we speak of things such as uh, we believe in angels, we believe in the jinn, we believe in um, you know, obviously things that we that we can't arrive at with the senses, then they would they would mock us and they would say that you you believe in fairy tales and you believe in you know uh, superstition and you believe in the supernatural, the supernatural, right? The natural is what we what we see and what we observe, so physical, and the supernatural they say it's it's beyond our you know beyond our our perception. But I want to give you just a quick. Uh, analogy or an example to show how mankind can be very very ignorant and you know very very primitive in his way of thinking and deny things which he has no knowledge of so for example let's say you know we we go back to you know the 12th or 11th century or even the 16th century to some let's say some village in Europe, for example, and 
you know, let's say that you uh, were, to, were to say in that time that, you know, that it's going to be possible to speak to somebody on the other side of the earth. Or that you can fly to the other side of the earth. Right? So, you know, you would be considered in that time, you would be considered to be, you know, a witch or a magician. And they would tie you up and they would burn you at the stake. Or they would throw you in the river. And they'd say, well, if you sink, you know, you, you're, you're innocent. And if you float, then, you know, you're, you're a witch or something. Right? Obviously, because they, they, it's not fathomable, fathomable in the human mind at that time to ever think that you can speak to somebody on the other side of the earth or that you can fly in the air to go to some other part of the earth. You, you could never imagine that. Or let's say for argument's sake that you could take some technology from, from the modern era. Let's say it's a drone or something, right? A drone which has like a, a loudspeaker. It has lights. And you could transport it back just for argument's sake, you know, back to the 13th, 14th century. These people would not be able to believe what, what they are seeing. In fact, you might have seen... Uh, you know, there's some remote tribes in uh, South America where for the very first time the helicopter flew and they saw these remote tribes and they were trying to, they didn't know what the helicopter was, they were trying to hit it with the spear, right? So the point being, the point that I'm trying to make here is that there are many things from within Allah's creation that are outside of the ability of the human mind, either for a certain time period until it's discovered, or it's not possible to ever perceive it full stop. Right? And there's nothing wrong with believing in that. There's nothing wrong with believing in that, right? This in fact it's from intellect, from intelligence to believe in that. Right? Just like we would say that those people many centuries back who believed that to be able to speak to somebody on the other side of the earth was somehow was somehow was 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 somehow um that someone who believed that you could speak to somebody on the other side of the earth was somehow mad or deranged right we know that they were that they were totally wrong, right? So there's there's nothing, uh, you know, to believe in the unseen is is from reason, and especially as we as we explained in the previous lesson, when we look at what are the the roots to knowledge. So we'll come to that inshallah ta'ala. Before we continue, just a short announcement. Somebody has a, a vehicle, a Honda Civic, a Honda Civic. Uh, these cars are blocking the street and there's complaints coming. So first car is a, well, there's a Honda Civic. Uh, the registration, I think, is LT59EZL. LT59EZL. And the other car is a Volkswagen Polo. Volkswagen Polo. And the registration is VE64, VE64FHW. So, inshallah, if you could, uh, uh, you know, 
<coughs> remove your cars and put them somewhere else because it's blocking the street and there's people uh, complaining. Jazakumullah khairah. So that was the first point that we mentioned, uh, belief in the unseen. It's the first description of the, of the believers. So we believe in that which we can't perceive. From that is things such as the jinn, the angels, uh, the grave and what happens in the grave, uh, paradise, hellfire, and so on and so forth. Secondly, we said that in the Quran, uh, we see the use of the word al-ghayb wa shahada Al-ghayb wa shahada Allah is the knower of the seen and the unseen. So everything which exists, all of wujud, then it's uh, divided into that which is from the ghayb and that which is from the shahada. That which is from the seen and that which is from uh, the unseen. So obviously that's very, very clear. Uh, even physically, there are things, for example, if I'm sat in this room, you know, there are things outside of this room which are from the unseen to me. It's relative. And likewise, across the world, there's all those things which I can't directly physically, they are, they are from the unseen to me. And similarly, there are those things that it's simply not possible at all for us to ever perceive with the vision, with the, you know, with the, with, with, with the hearing. Um, there are some animals that can hear things that we can't hear. So even amongst creation, Allah has given different beings, different abilities to you know, see and hear things that others can't. Right? So even amongst Allah's creation, what is from the seen or the unseen is different. For the angels, it's different to what is for the jinn, it's different to what it is for us, and to the animals and so on. Right? So the creation... That is the seen and the unseen. So this is what is out there. Then we said, how do we come to have knowledge of what is out there? We said there are three routes. There are three ways. The first is his. His meaning sensory perception. Right? So the touch, the seeing, hearing, the smell, taste, right? The physical, that's his. Then by way of reason, right? By way of reason, we can come to know things. So for example, you know, if I found an if I find an egg, if I find an egg, then by reason I know for sure that whatever creature, you know, the bird or whatever it might be, was responsible for the egg, that is definitely out there. So I have knowledge, right, by way of that, by way of reason. That's the second route. And the third is by way of the report, the khabar, by way of the report. And most of our knowledge that we have that we have is by way of the report, the khabar, or by way of reason. Right? This is for everybody. Nobody can know and acquire knowledge just by way of the physical senses alone. Right? Most of your knowledge is by way of the khabar, the report, what you read, what you hear, or by way of you know uh, reasoning. That was the uh, third point that we mentioned. Uh, the fourth point that we mentioned was that we have to differentiate what's in the mind, what the mind thinks of, and what's real and true outside of the mind. Right? And this is one of the big, big mistakes that people made in the past, the philosophers of the past, 
And it's also a big mistake that's made today by many of the, of the scientists, the scientists of the, of the disbelievers in, in their theories and their speculations, right? They think of things in their mind which are totally imaginary and then they make them appear to be real, you know, by, by uh, dubious experiments or by, you know, mathematics or equations, but they have no reality to them, right? Because the mind can think of more things than what is actually real, right? So I, I can think in my mind, I can picture in my mind right now uh, an elephant which is flying, you know, but there's no such thing, right? Because, you know, th this is just an idea in my mind. And similarly, we also have to differentiate between, for example, like when I think of the idea of man in my mind, this is a universal idea of man in my mind. I'm not thinking of any specific man. This is a general idea in my mind. That idea exists only in the mind, the general, the universal idea of a man, right? But out, outside, there's you know, this man, there's that man, there's that man, there's the individual specific real beings. But the universal idea is only in the mind, right? These universals are not, are not out there, outside the mind. They're only in the mind, right? So not distinguishing between these two things is what led philosophers of the past to believe things that they imagined to be real and true outside of the mind when they are not, right? And this can lead or this led people to tremendous misguidance. So we have to make that distinction, right? There are ideas which are in the mind, universals and things like that, or things that you imagine that exist only in the mind, right? Not, not in external reality. For example, numbers. Numbers is an idea just in the mind. Can someone point to me where the number one is? Can you show me where's number one? Where's number one? I can say there's one man, one bottle, but... but Where's number one? It's, it's uh, you know, so we, we have to, so this is why not making this distinction can be the source of great misguidance and becoming, uh, and being terribly wrong, terribly wrong about what's really out there, about the reality of what's, what's out there. And this is the nature of the mistake of the, the philosophers of the past. And today the scientists, they make the same uh, uh, mistake, it's not necessarily even a mistake, it's, it's a deliberate deception in uh, many instances. So that was uh, point number four. Point number five, we gave some examples, simple examples, what's from the ghaib, what's from the shahada. From the ghaib is Allah Zawajal, the angels, paradise, hellfire, punishment of the, the, the what's, what's in the grave. Um, you know, all of these are from the, from the ghaib. And from the shahada, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, the, the, the mountains, the trees, the animals, you know, entities, you know, anything which has a real, you know, true, true existence. And then finally, we said that in the hereafter, in the life of this world, Allah has limited, given us a limited ability to see and to hear and to feel and to perceive. And that when we enter into the barzakh, Right, which is the intermediate stage between this life and the hereafter, then our ability to perceive things will be different. And we will be able to perceive more things than what we can in the life of this world. And then finally in the hereafter, the hereafter 
the distinction will be gone right we will we will see the the realities of the unseen directly right so uh this was like a a, a brief introduction to the issue of al ghaib that which is from the unseen to introduce the topic and the topic was the punishment of the grave and its bliss Sheikh Ubaid mentioned that hadith, if you remember, the first hadith, that إِذَا وُدِعَتِ janaza, When the janaza is, is placed and the men carry it on their shoulders, then if it is a righteous soul, it says قَدِّمُونِي قَدِّمُونِي And if it is a, not a righteous soul, it says يَا وَيْلَهَا أَيْنَا يَذْهَبُونَ بِهَا Right? So this shows that the soul, the soul also is a real and true thing, right? It's a separate thing to the body. The soul can come in and out of the body. So it's an actual entity. It's an actual thing. It's not an idea. It's not an idea in the mind. It's, it's an actual thing. But we don't know the reality of, of the nature of the soul, right? the ruh of the soul. But it's a real thing. And the soul is able to speak it ascends, it descends, you know, obviously it has feelings, it's able to speak. So this is the soul, it is something real and true. And so the Sheikh began by mentioning that uh, hadith, and he said that this hadith and whatever is similar to it is from the knowledge that Allah he gave to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Messenger is obviously, he is reporting that information to us and he is truthful the message of is truthful and so this is a khabar a report from a truthful person right and we we, we believe in these uh, akhbar so the sheikh said that death or the point of death is the transition to the second you know the the the, the, the stage in the barzakh which is from the stages which lead to the hereafter. And from the hadith of the Messenger of Islam is that he said, Indeed, Allah, he accepts the repentance of the servant so long as the death rattle does not begin. Right? The death rattle meaning when the soul is being, you know, coming and, and to, be, to be extracted uh, from, uh, from the body. So, uh, after that, uh, we spoke briefly, uh, the Sheikh mentioned uh, that behind this, behind these texts is basically an admonition and a reminder, and the Sheikh also mentioned uh, the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu فَقْرَأُوا إِنْ شِئْتُمْ فَلَا تَعْلَمُ نَفْسٌ مَا أُخْفِيَ لَهُمْ مِنْ قُرَّةِ أَعْيُنَ I have prepared, this is a hadith Qudsi, I have prepared for my servants, righteous servants, what no eye has seen, and what no ear has heard, and which has not occurred in the heart of a man. It would not be imagined by the heart of a man. So read if you wish, and then he recited a verse from Surah Al-Sajdah that no soul knows what has been concealed from it 
of the pleasure of the eye. Of the pleasure of the eye. So then the Shaykh after that, he just mentioned, uh, he went on to discuss that the, the hadith that we discussed at the beginning, there are two halves to it. There are two parts to it. The first half is about the righteous soul. This is the believing soul. And, you know, a man or a woman, you know, and uh, this is the man or the woman who is given the glad tidings because that's why the soul says, قَدِّمُونِي قَدِّمُونِي Hasten me, hasten me. Because it's been informed and it knows of what is awaiting it of the you know, paradise and the bliss of paradise. And that's why it says, قَدِّمُونِي قَدِّمُونِي and at the end of Surah Al-Fajr, the 89th chapter of the Qur'an, Allah he says, يَا أَيَّتُهَا النَّفْسُ الْمُطْمَعِنَّ إِرْجِعِي إِلَىٰ رَبِّكِ رَاضِيَةً مَرْضِيَةً He says, O soul that is tranquil and at peace, return back to your Lord in pleasure and you know, uh, uh, pleased and you are pleased with. So, the meaning of this is, come to the forgiveness from your Lord and his pleasure. And so when the soul is told this, the soul is told this, that's when it says, قَدِّمُونِي قَدِّمُونِي Hasten me, hasten me, meaning hasten me to the burial so that I can see the place in paradise and I can experience paradise. This is the, the meaning. This is the first half. The second half is the soul that is not righteous and so this is the soul that you know which has been um you know that followed its whims and fell into desires and committed whatever it committed of sins and major sins and crimes until death came to that soul and um, you know, the, the destroyer of pleasures, which is death. And now the soul says, Ya Wailaha, woe be to it, woe be to it, speaking about itself in the third person. Ya Wailaha, woe be to it, but speaking about itself. Right? And it wants it to be slowed down because, you know, it, it has been shown or it knows, or it, it's been conveyed, or it's been shown, its place in the hellfire. So this soul now dislikes to meet Allah Azawajal. It hates to meet Allah Azawajal. And so that's why it says, Ya Wailaha. And we have another hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in which he said, related by Al-Bukhari, Man ahabba liqa'a Allah, ahabba Allahu liqa'a. Whoever loves to meet Allah, Allah loves to meet him. وَمَنْ كَرِهَ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ كَرِهَ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهِ And whoever hates to meet Allah, Allah will hate to meet him. So then, the companion, uh, the, it's from Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, O Prophet of Allah, is this, is this hatred of death? You know, is this what you mean? Hatred of death? But... And does not everybody hate death? So Aisha was asking, are you speaking about death 
because death is something that all of us hate. You know, we, we, we don't like to, to, to die. So does that mean that we all hate to meet Allah? Is this what you mean? And so the messenger of Allah, he clarified and he said, he said, uh, he said, no, it's not like that. لَيْسَ كَذَلِكَ وَلَكِنَّ الْمُؤْمِنْ إِذَا بُشِّرَ بِرَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانِهِ وَجَنَّتِهِ أَحَبَّ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ فَأَحَبَّ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهِ The meaning of this is that after death, when the believer has, has died and has been given the glad tidings of Allah's mercy and his pleasure and his paradise, at that point, he love, he wants to meet Allah. He loves to meet Allah. Right? So now he's, he's filled with love. And then Allah loves to meet him. And as for the disbeliever, وَإِنَّ الْكَافِرِ إِذَا بُشِّرَ بِعَذَابِ اللَّهِ وَسَخَطِهِ كَرِهَ لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ وَكَرِهَ اللَّهُ لِقَاءَهِ Which means that as for the disbeliever, when he is given the tidings of punishment, then he hates to meet Allah, and then Allah hates to meet him. Right? So obviously, he's seen his position and his place in the hellfire, and he hates to meet Allah. So this hadith here, these, these few hadiths that, you, that we've seen here, these are some of many that the Shaykh mentions. He says, al qabr." وَعَذَابُهُ مِمَّا دَلَّ عَلِيهِ الْكِتَابُ وَالسُّنَّةِ الْمُتَوَاتِرَةِ وَأَجْمَعَ عَلَيْهِ أَئِمَّةُ الْإِلْمِ وَالْإِمَانِ وَالْدِينِ Right, so this issue of the grave, the punishment of the grave and its bliss, is something that the Qur'an and the Sunnah and likewise what the leading scholars of, of knowledge of Iman of the religion they are all united upon. This is a matter of consensus. It is ijma'. And so no one can really deny this. There are people who deny this. They are the, the rationalists or the, or, or the mu'tazila. The mu'tazila. And, you know, they, they, they basically claimed that anything the, that reason cannot comprehend, anything that reason cannot grasp or, you know, reason uh, evaluates not to be true, then we reject it, right? It's on this basis that the Mu'tazila, they rejected Al-Qadr, right? So first of all, they said, you know, there can't be Al-Qadr because how can Allah decree and will and create the actions of the servants and then punish them for it, right? And so because they try to grasp this with, with their intellects, um, you know, so they said this must mean that a man, when he does his actions, he must be doing them completely outside of Allah's will, Allah's desire, Allah's creative power. He's completely outside of Allah's control when he does his actions. Right? Only then is it justified that he be rewarded or punished. And what they are really saying here, it's as if every man is a creator alongside Allah. Right? Because they, they took man and his actions outside of Allah's creative power. Due to trying to understand things by way of reason. And they are wrong in this. Because Allah, he created us. 
He gave us limbs, he gave us the mind, he gave us the ability to think, he gave us the ability to choose and to do actions. Then he sent us guidance by way of the books, by way of the messengers. Right? So we choose our actions, we do our actions, but Allah is the creator of our actions. Right? Allah creates our actions because he created our bodies, our limbs, right? And, and the, the ability to choose and think and reflect. And to do actions. So whatever we do, Allah created that action. But we are the doers of that action, right? So we are still uh, responsible. So there's no conflict here between Allah's justice, right? And Allah creating and Allah's justice and Allah's reward and Allah's... There's no conflict here. There's only conflict if you try to, you know, apply your mind and your reason... And um, try to make analogies, false analogies, right? It's 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 it's, it's incorrect. Anyway, that's one of the things that they, that they that they denied. Also, they said, okay, well, how can how can scales on the day of judgment? How can scales weigh the deeds of a person? How is that even possible? You know, like like because they're trying to think in terms of the life of this world. How can you have scales that are going to weigh the the deeds of a person. Yes, you can weigh the person. You can weigh the person. But how can you, how can you weigh the actual deeds of a person? It doesn't make sense. So it must mean something else. Right? Again, trying to use the mind to understand to, where, where they are rejecting something they cannot comprehend. Right? It's a bit like the example I gave to you at the beginning. If you told some person in a village in England, you know, in the 14th century... That, you know, it's possible to speak to another person on the other side of the world in the future. Like I said, he'll think you're mad or a magician or a witch. And you'll be taken and you'll be burnt at the stake. But that's because your mind is unable to grasp what Allah has created in his creation of the ways and means through which it is perfectly possible to speak to someone on the other side of the earth. Or to see someone on the other side of the earth by way of you know the technology and the transmission through the through the medium of the air and so on and so forth. So in the same way, the Mu'tazila are basically and people like them are rejecting things uh, because they think that the mind and reason is 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 you know um, that that knowledge of things is only by way of either his perception or the mind. And we've already established that sound authentic reports are also a valid means of knowledge. right? And the prophets and messengers bring us information about these affairs that the mind cannot basically comprehend. right? So there are things that the mind cannot comprehend, but... You know they—they are not impossible, right? There are things which are, which are possible, but the mind simply cannot comprehend them. So, like we said, it's possible to speak to someone on the other side of the earth. We would never ever have been able to grasp and understand that, right? In the 17th, 18th, and going back before that. Likewise, it is possible for a person's deeds, whatever deeds he does, for them to be weighed. We just don't understand it. The soul. That's inside of us that, you know, flows and by which the body is given life. 
it's there, but we, we don't comprehend, we can't comprehend it. So the Mu'tazila are making this mistake of trying to uh, limit all of knowledge to either sensory perception or reason. And if reason can't comprehend something, it can't be true. That's not right, right? So I gave the example of uh, the example of the scales on the Day of Judgment, example of Al-Qadr, and likewise here, the punishment of the grave, right? So they rejected these things, and this, this is deviation. This is deviation in creed. So, as the Sheikh said, the evidences are very, very many. The Sheikh mentioned just one or two texts. We'll mention uh, some more texts. Uh, there are very many. From them is the statement of the Prophet also related by Bukhari. إِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ إِذَا مَاتَ عُرِدَ عَلَيْهِ مَقْعَدُهُ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِي Indeed, when one of you, he dies, his place, his maqad, his place, right, in the hellfire or paradise, is shown to him in the morning and the evening. إِنْ كَانَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ فَمِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ so if he's from the people of paradise, then he's shown his place from the people of paradise. And if he's from the people of the hellfire, then he's shown his place, you know, of the people of hellfire. For yuqal, it is then said to him, So it is then said to him, this is your place. This is your place. Until Allah raises you on the Day of Judgment. Right? This is a very, very clear text. Also, there are ayat in the Quran that the scholars have used as an evidence for the uh, punishment and the bliss of the grave. And one of the most famous ones of the verses is the statement of Allah referring to the people of Fir'aun. The people of Fir'aun. In which Allah Zujal He says, "Anaru yu'raduna aliha ghuduwan wa'ashiya." The fire are they subjected to morning and evening. The fire they are subjected to morning and evening. Right. So this is what Allah said first. Then He said, "Wajma taqumu sa'a." On the day that on the day that uh, the hour is established, right? So on the day that the hour is established, enter Fir'aun into the most severe punishment. So here in this verse, Allah said, He said first, morning and evening are they subject are they subjected to the fire? Morning and evening, right? So this is before they are resurrected. Then Allah said, and then on the when the hour is established, when the hour is established, then enter the people of Fir'aun into the most severe punishment. So what's this first? You know, being subjected to the fire morning and evening. What what is this that happens before the hour is established? This is the punishment of the grave. This is in Surah Ghafir, Surah 40, uh, verses uh, 46, I believe, 46. 
So Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he said that in the grave, their souls are subjected to the hellfire, morning and evening, until the establishment of the hour. And then when the hour is established, their souls will be reconnected with their bodies in the hellfire. Right? So, um, the, the, the connection between the soul and the body, it varies depending on which, where we are. Right? So, in the life of this world, the body is the lead. The body is the lead. And the soul follows. So, the majority of the the experience, what we, what we feel, perceive, feel, occurs in the physical body. Right? That's in the life of this world. And in the barzakh, in the grave, in the intermediate stage, it is the soul that is primarily, it's the body as well, but it's the soul primarily. Right? And on the hereafter, both the soul and the body will be connected in a way where... <laughs> The, 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 the strengths of either one are joined together and we have an altogether different level of basically experience and perception and feeling, right? It will be enhanced and, you know, it will be stronger. So this is how the, how the scholars explain the, the different connections between the soul and the, and, and the body. So, as Ibn Kathir said, rahimahullah, that... Uh, this verse, what it means, that in the barzakh, their souls are being subjected to the fire morning and evening, and then in the hereafter, the intense and severe punishment will be when the body is connected to uh, the soul. Also, from uh, the hadith, is from Asma bint Abi Bakr, uh, radiallahu anha, who said that the Prophet, he said, uh, he, where he said, um, وَلَقَدْ أُوحِيَ إِلِيَّ أَنَّكُمْ تُفْتَنُونَ فِي الْقُبُورِ مِثْلَ أَوْ قَرِيبًا مِنْ فِتْنَةِ الدَّجَّالِ It has been revealed to me that you will be put to trial in the graves like or close to the trial of الدجال right, So there will be a trial in the grave that will be like, just like, or close to the trial of الدجال and then he continued, he said, يُؤْتَى أَحَدُكُمْ فَيُقَالُ لَهُ مَا إِلْمُكَ بِهَذَا الرَّجُلُ One of you will be brought, it will be said to him, what is your knowledge? What is your knowledge of this man? Of this man, meaning the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَأَمَّا الْمُؤْمِنِ فَيَقُولُ مُحَمَّدٌ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam جاءنا بالبينات والهدى فأجبنا وآمنا واتبعنا right this is the answer of the believer it's the answer being given to you which you know which 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 you learn and you 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 say with 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 truthfulness and sincerity right so the believer will say this is Muhammad the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم he
So the believer, he will say, this is Muhammad. This man, this is Muhammad, the messenger of Allah He came to us with bayyinat, with evidences, with huda, with guidance. So we responded to him and we believed in him and we followed him. So this person who gives this answer in the grave, then it will be, you know, said to you will know, said in response to him that you know you'll uh, that uh, his answer will be will be accepted, and you know rest as as one who is righteous. For indeed we have known that you had certainty. You were you were a person of certainty. And then the hadith continues: As for the hypocrite or the one who is doubtful, he didn't really know. He will say, La Adri, La Adri. I, you know, I do not know. Um, and uh, he will say, La Adri. He will say, nas. I heard the people saying something, so I said it. Meaning, this person, his, his, he didn't have Iman on the basis of, of knowledge and ikhlas, but he just heard the people around him saying stuff, so he just followed it. And it wasn't out of conviction, wasn't out of yaqeen. We're just following, you know. And so he won't really know. And so obviously this person uh, will will follow for this person, whatever follows for that person. Anyway, this hadith is again another proof for the grave and the trial in the grave. Likewise from Aisha radiallahu anha, who mentioned that uh, a Jewish woman came upon her and the Jewish woman mentioned the punishment of the grave. Right? So the Ahlul Kitab who came before, they obviously know these things. They know things about paradise and hellfire and about the grave because they, these things were revealed to them, to, to Musa alayhi salam, to Isa alayhi salam. And so this Jewish woman came and said, she mentioned the punishment of the grave. And uh, Aisha said, or, or she said to her, Allah min qabr. May Allah protect you from the punishment of the grave. So Aisha radiallahu anha asked the messenger of Allah sallam, about this punishment of the grave. And so he said, Naam, عَذَابُ الْقَبَرْ حَقَّ 
Yes, the punishment of the grave is true. And then Aisha said, Then I never saw the Messenger of Allah after he prayed a prayer, except except that he sought refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. And this hadith is also in Al-Bukhari and uh, Muslim. And then also hadith of the Messenger of Allah uh, in which he would say when, when uh, there was a burial and um, he would command the people as is related by Uthman radiallahu anhu anna nabi sallam kana idha fariga min, uh, min dafn al-mayyit waqafa alihi wa qal istaghfiru li akhikum wa salu lahu al-tathbit fa innahu al-an yus'al fa innahu al-an yus'al so whenever the burial would be completed he would stand over the grave and then he would say to the companions who were present seek forgiveness for your brother and ask for firmness for him for the questioning for indeed right now he is being asked and this is hadith contains what is the sunnah what is what is the sunnah that we ought to practice when we finish a burial Right? This shows that the Messenger of Islam used to ask everybody present to individually ask for forgiveness for the person, you know, the deceased. Right? This is what, what the Messenger did. He told everybody, ask for Allah's forgiveness for the deceased and ask Allah to make him firm for the questioning. This is the sunnah upon the completion of the burial. Right? It's not that everybody... You know, he, he asked every individual to make istighfar for the deceased. So you make dua individually and you make it for uh, forgiveness and for firmness for that person so that he's able to answer the question. Also, from the uh, reports which are mentioned uh, in this regard is, or in fact there's a verse in the Qur'an, from Al-Bara bin Azib radiyallahu anhu who said that Rasulullah said يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ He mentioned this verse Allah will indeed make firm those who believe with a firm speech with a firm statement This is Surah Ibrahim This is chapter 14 verse number 27 Indeed Allah will make firm those who believe with a firm statement, بِالْقَوْلِ thabit. What does this, al-qawl thabit? what does this mean, the firm statement? He said, نَزَلَتْ فِي عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ So the messenger said, this verse was revealed in relation to the punishment of the grave. So it will be, it will be said to the person, فَيُقَالُ لَهُ مَنْ رَبُّكَ Who is your Lord? And he will say, فَيَقُولُ رَبِّيَ اللَّهِ وَنَبِيِّ مُحَمَّدِ سَسَلَّمْ فَذَلِكَ قَوْلُ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ Right, so a person, it will be said to him, Who is your Lord? And he will respond, My Lord is Allah and my Prophet is Muhammad sallam. This is the firm statement that's being referred to in that verse. 
Al-Qawl Al-Thabit. Right? This meaning to say, Rabbi Allah, my Lord is Allah, and Muhammad is my Prophet. This is Al-Qawl Al-Thabit, the firm statement. And Allah will make the people of Iman to be firm by giving them firmness in responding with this answer. Right? And this is what this is basically uh, referring to. So this now is yet another evidence uh, from, from the Sunnah and from the Quran and the Sunnah. You know, this, this, is, this is initially an evidence in the Quran and the Sunnah explains what is in the Quran. That this is an evidence for the grave and whatever takes place uh, in the grave. Also from the uh, statements is uh, the statement of Allah, uh, the statement of the Messenger of Sallallahu uh, from the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, who said that the Messenger of Islam said, هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ This nation will be تُبْتَلَى فِي قُبُورِهَا will be put to trial in its graves. فَلَوْلَا أَلَّا تَدَافَنُوا لَدَعَوْتُ اللَّهَ أَنْ يُسْمِعَكُمْ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبَرِ الَّذِي أَسْمَعُ مِنْهُ He said, had it not been that you would have stopped burying your dead had it not been that you would have stopped burying your dead then I would have asked Allah to make you hear from the punishment of the grave which I which I hear right meaning that if Allah was to make us hear the, the screaming the wailing the shouting or you know from, from the punishment then we wouldn't we, we would have felt so scared that we wouldn't even bury the dead for fear of you know the the, the, the punishment. And so then the Messenger of Islam he turned to the companions and he said to them, Ta'awadu Billahi min adabil qabr. He said to them, Seek refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. So they said, Na'udhu Billahi min adabil min min adabin nar. We seek refuge in Allah from the punishment of the fire. Then he said, "Ta'awwadu billahi min adabil qabr." Seek refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. So they responded and said, "Na'udhu billahi min adabil qabr." We seek refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. Also, the statement of the Messenger of Allah uh, from Uthman radhiyallahu anhu that he said, "Inna al-qabr awwalu." Manazili al-Akhirah. Indeed, the grave is the first of the stages of the hereafter. فَإِن نَجَا مِنْهُ فَمَا بَعْدَهُ أَيْسَرُ مِنْهُ. So if he is saved, if he's like saved from what is in the grave, then what comes after will be easier for him. وَإِن لَمْ يَنْجُ مِنْهُ فَمَا بَعْدَهُ أَشَدُ مِنْهُ. And if he does not escape or be saved from what is in the grave, then what will come afterwards will be more severe than it. And also from Aisha radiallahu anha, who said that the Prophet Sallallahu he said, "Inna lil qabri dhaghtatan law kana ahadun najiyan minha lanaja Sa'd ibn Mu'adh." Indeed, the grave has a compression. The grave compresses. And had anyone escaped it, then it would have been Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, right? One of the, the great martyrs. But this means that nobody is going to escape 
the embrace of the grave, right? The the compression of the grave of a uh, of a of, of a believer. And finally, the Messenger of Allah he said, from Anas radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet said, "Yatba'u al-mayyita thalathatun fayarji uthnan wa yabqa wahid." That the dead person is followed to his grave by three, by three things. Two of them return and one of them remains. So he said, يَتْبَعُهُ أَهْلُهُ وَمَالُهُ وَعَمَلُهُ He is followed by his family and his wealth and his actions. فَيَرْجِئُ أَهْلُهُ وَمَالُهُ وَيَبْقَى عَمَلُهُ so his family returns and his wealth returns. Because obviously his wealth doesn't go into him, uh, doesn't go into the grave with him, right? The, the, the wealth. Uh, and then his action remains with him, right? So this is the only thing that accompanies you in the grave. So the, these are some of the many, many uh, texts, you know, from the, from the Quran and the Sunnah, uh, which establish... Uh, the punishment of the grave and the bliss of the grave is a true and real thing. It's a true and real thing. Even if our minds cannot, cannot uh, comprehend it. Right? So, the Shaykh, Shaykh Ubaid, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, from the, from the basic texts uh, that, he, that he mentioned, you know, he mentions the hadith uh, of how a believer is uh, shown his place and given his reward uh, in the grave. And this is from the angle of al-jaza'u min jinsil amal, right? So if you enter the grave with righteous deeds, righteous actions, then you will experience the bliss of the grave. And if you enter the grave with evil deeds, uh, then you will be wretched and you will taste, you know, the, the, some of the punishment uh, for, the, for those deeds. And so after all of this, the shaykh, he says, know that... The punishment of the grave from it is that which is continuous. So it doesn't stop. Once you're in the grave, it doesn't stop. And this is Right? So this is for the people of disbelief, people of hypocrisy, and the people of shirk. It's continuous. It doesn't stop. And you know, obviously, this is meaning the outright hypocrites. And the other type is muakkat meaning it is limited or time-limited. And this is in relation to the sinful Muslims, right? The sinful believer, the sinful Muslim, his punishment is not continuous, you know, so long as he's in the grave, he'll be continuous. No, it's, it's muakkat, it's, you know, for, for a defined period of time. And uh, they, they are the people of Tawheed. And, um, you know, so it will last for a time and then it will cut off and... You know, this obviously is due to uh, righteous and good deeds that they also have. And Allah will, will raise it uh, from him. And um, there are different reasons as to why that can happen. There's dua for the deceased, istighfar for the deceased, there's righteous deeds that the deceased has. And so therefore this makes the punishment to be of limited uh, duration because of these other, uh, because of these other factors. Um, you know, righteous deeds that, that his family does, um, 
you know, uh, you know, he he will benefit from that. You know, if they if the certain deeds that 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 they do. So then the Sheikh goes on to mention finally that the people of Iman therefore are three types when they when they come from the grave and they are now going to be held to account there are three categories the first one he says they will enter paradise bila hisab wala adab bila hisab wala adab so some people will arrive on the day of judgment they will not be held to account they will not be questioned and they will not be punished right and so they will enter paradise just like that right this is the first category of believer the second category of believer is the one to whom his deeds will be presented to him they will be shown to him but he will not be scrutinized or um, he will not be scrutinized his his record of his good deeds will not be inquired into it will not be investigated or inquired into right so this person will enter into you know paradise also um, and then the third category are those mayunaqash fi amalih right this is the person where now he will be scrutinized so you there will be inquiries into your scroll of deeds uh, you did this and you did this you know you will be you will be inquired into and this is the one if if this is something that happens to you then you you are someone who will perish meaning that you will be punished in the hellfire for a duration right now those who actually do enter the hellfire those who meet allah azawajal or sorry those who meet allah azawajal with major sins which they have not repented from then some among them allah will forgive by way of his bounty by way of his mercy because they would be deserving of that and among them are those whom he will punish for a short duration because from his justice because they are deserving of that right and then eventually all you know eventually these people will also go into paradise and allah subhanahu he said in the quran inna allah la yaghfiru an yushraka bihi wa yaghfiru ma duna dhalika liman yasha indeed allah does not forgive that partners are associated with him but he forgives what is less than that to whomever he wills so as long as you do not meet allah upon shirk and kufr a disbelief and shirk you meet him with major sins below that even if you have not repented then allah will eventually he will he will forgive you right and you will come out of hellfire if you know he decides from his justice to punish you therein so this is the end of the sheikh's brief lecture and this brings us to an end of our lecture today uh, so this is from the affairs of the unseen adhabul qabr wa na'imuhu and like we said uh, as it relates to the affairs of the unseen it's important that we you know understand them and that we realize that the root to knowledge of these affairs is pure khabar pure khabar is pure reports alone right there's no we can't physically we we can't see or you know we can't hear i mean there are actually reports there are reports of people who maybe they may have 
experienced something in a burial or maybe they've buried a body afterwards. There are many, many reports like this, you know, where they see the body in a certain state or they see the effects of burning or something. There are many, many reports like this, right? So even that is kind of like a, you know, an affirmation for us. But other than that, you know, we, we can't see, feel, hear these kind of things. And the information about them is pure khabar. It is pure report by way of the messenger who is truthful, who is believed, you know, which Allah, uh, things which Allah showed him or things which Allah informed him by way of, you know, directly or by way of Jibreel Islam. And so this is a route to knowledge. The khabar is a route to knowledge. And Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah mentions an important principle, which is that the Qur'an and the Sunnah do not come with anything that is impossible. There's nothing that the Qur'an and the Sunnah have come with which is muhal, muhal, that's impossible. There's no such thing, right? So whatever has come in these texts, there's nothing that is muhal that intellect can deem to be impossible. However, there is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah which is from the, from the muharat, muharat, meaning things which are going to make you bewildered and, and confused and you're going to find it hard to believe and, or not hard to believe, but you're going to find it hard to understand. You're going to find it hard to grasp. Yes, there are those types of things. Right? But as we said to you before, I'll give you examples before, that this is because of the limited knowledge that we have. We do not have access to the unseen. And I gave some you know, analogies previously to show that you know, th there's nothing strange about this. Like if you said to somebody in the th you know, 3rd, 4th, 10th, 13th, 14th, 15th century that you, know, you, can, you can fly in the sky and you can speak to someone on the other side of the world and th you know, they, 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 they would never believe you. But that's perfectly possible to do that within the scheme of Allah's creation. And then there are other things also that you know, there's angels, there's the jinn, and uh, the ability to rapid, you know, uh, to move rapidly, all these things are true and real. So there are many other things that we can't really comprehend, and it's from the qualities of a believer to believe in all of those things. This is not a blameworthy characteristic, it's the praiseworthy characteristic, and the very first thing that Allah mentioned in the Quran about the, the traits of the believers. So inshallah we'll end our lesson there for today inshallah alhamdulillah rabbil alamin wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in